Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 12, and then through J.C. Rao's expository thoughts on Luke. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 12. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. This is the word of the Lord. The first event recorded in Luke's gospel is the sudden appearance of an angel to a Jewish priest named Zechariah. The angel announces to him that a son is about to be born to him by a miraculous interposition and that his son is to be the forerunner of the long-promised Messiah. The word of God had plainly foretold that when Messiah came, someone would go before him to prepare his way, Malachi 3.1. The wisdom of God provided that when this forerunner appeared, he would be born in the family of a priest. We can form very little idea at this period of the world of the immense importance of this angel's announcement. To the mind of a pious Jew, it must have been glad tidings of great joy. It was the first communication from God to Israel since the days of Malachi. It broke the long silence of 400 years. It told the believing Israelite that the prophetic weeks of Daniel were at length fulfilled, Daniel 9.25, and that God's choicest promise was at length going to be accomplished, and that the seed was about to appear to whom all the nations of the earth should be blessed. Genesis 22.18 We must place ourselves in imagination in the position of Zechariah in order to give the verses before us their due weight. Let us mark, for one thing in this passage, the high testimony which is borne to the character of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We are told that they were both righteous before God and that they walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. It matters little whether we interpret this righteousness as that which is imputed to all believers for their justification, or that which is wrought inwardly in believers by the operation of the Holy Spirit for their sanctification. The two sorts of righteousness are never disjoined. There are none justified who are not sanctified, and there are none sanctified who are not justified. Suffice it for us to know that Zechariah and Elizabeth had grace when grace was very rare, and kept all the burdensome observances of the ceremonial law with devout conscientiousness when few Israelites cared for them except in name and form. The main thing that concerns us all is the example which this holy pair hold up to Christians. Let us all strive to serve God faithfully and live fully up to our light, even as they did. Let us not forget the plain words of Scripture, He that does righteousness is righteous. 1 John 3, 7. Happy are those Christian families in which it can be reported 
that both husband and wife are righteous and exercise themselves to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Acts 24.16 Let us mark for another thing in this passage the heavy trial which God was pleased to lay on Zechariah and Elizabeth. We are told that they had no child. The full force of these words can hardly be understood by a modern Christian. To an ancient Jew, they would convey the idea of a very weighty affliction. To be childless was one of the bitterest of sorrows, 1 Samuel 1.10. The grace of God exempts no one from trouble. Righteous as this holy priest and his wife were, they had a crook in their lot. Let us remember this if we serve Christ and let us count trial no strange thing. Let us rather believe that a hand of perfect wisdom is measuring out all our portion and that when God chastises us, it is to make us partakers of his holiness. Hebrews 12.10 If afflictions drive us nearer to Christ, the Bible, and prayer, they are positive blessings. We may not think so now, but we shall think so when we wake up in another world. Let us mark for another thing in this passage the means by which God announced the coming birth of John the Baptist. We are told that an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah. The ministry of angels is undoubtedly a deep subject. Nowhere in the Bible do we find such frequent mention of them as in the period of our Lord's earthly ministry. At no time do we read of so many appearances of angels as about the time of our Lord's incarnation and entrance into the world. The meaning of this circumstance is sufficiently clear. It was meant to teach the church that Messiah was no angel, but the Lord of angels, and as well of men. Angels announced his coming. Angels proclaimed his birth. Angels rejoiced at his appearing. But by so doing, they made it plain that he who came to die for sinners was not one of themselves, but one far above them, the King of kings and Lord of lords. One thing, at all events, about angels we must never forget. They take a deep interest in the work of Christ and the salvation which Christ has provided. They sang high praise when the Son of God came down to make peace by his own blood between God and man. They rejoice when sinners repent and sons are born again to our Father in heaven. They delight to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation. Let us strive to be like them while we are upon earth, to be of their mind and to share their joys. This is the way to be in tune for heaven. It is written of those who enter in there that they shall be as the angels. Mark 12:25. Let us mark lastly in this passage the effect which the appearance of an angel produced on the mind of Zechariah. We are told that he was troubled and fear fell upon him. The experience of this righteous man here tallies exactly with that of other saints under similar circumstances. Moses at the burning bush, and Daniel at the river Hedekel, the woman at the tomb, and John on the island of Patmos, all showed like fear to that of Zechariah. Like him, when they saw visions of things belonging to another world, they trembled and were afraid. How are we to account for this fear? To that question, there is only one answer. It arises from our inward sense of weakness, guilt, and corruption. The vision of an inhabitant of heaven reminds us forcibly of our own imperfection and of our natural unfitness to stand before God. 
If angels are so great and terrible, what must the Lord of angels be? Let us bless God that we have a mighty mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Believing on him, we may draw near to God with boldness and look forward to the day of judgment without fear. When the mighty angels shall go forth to gather together God's elect, the elect have no cause to be afraid. To them the angels are fellow servants and friends. Revelation 22.9 Let us tremble when we think of the terror of the wicked at the last day. If even the righteous are troubled by a sudden vision of friendly spirits, where will the ungodly appear when the angels come forth to gather them like the tares for the burning? The fears of the saints are groundless and endure but for a little season. The fears of the lost, when once aroused, will prove well-grounded and will endure forevermore. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, could it be said that we are striving, by the grace of God, to serve God faithfully and live up to the light of God's word that we have? Second, when we suffer or go through trials, are we tempted to consider ourselves cursed? Or do such things draw us closer to Christ, the Bible, and prayer? Let us pray for the grace to see such results as positive blessings. Third, angels take deep interest in the work of Christ and the salvation of sinners. They rejoice when sinners repent and delight to serve the saints. Do we think or strive to think like them in these ways? And lastly, do we tend to think of angels as cute and fat little cherubs that sit comfortably on a shelf? or as beings that always have to tell people, do not be afraid? Do these beings remind us of our need for a great mediator and give us confidence in the work of Christ?